Hi, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the Comedy Podcast. I'm your host, Subi Sadeh. On this episode, I was joined by Michelle Lott. If you're curious to hear about her background, you can listen to the first episode we did, which is called Five Stages of Regulatory Grief. This episode talks about eight FDA databases that you should know about on the medical device side. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Michelle. If you like this episode, hit pause, give it a five-star rating. It helps the show out. And also check out her show, RAQA Today. Without further ado, here is Michelle. Hello, Combi Nation. My name is Subi Sade. I've spent over a decade in medical device, pharma, and combination product development. Our industry feels complicated sometimes. Drugs, devices, clinical trials, submissions, sterilization, validation, design control, risk management, market access, reimbursement. The list goes on. My goal is mastery. So this podcast is to ask questions I have to people who may have the answers. Each week on the Combinate Podcast, I talk to someone about their area to further understand and simplify. Whether you're a pharma person trying to understand the next wave of products, or a device person trying to navigate a pharma system you're unfamiliar with, or a newbie in both areas, I invite you to listen, and together we can simplify by combinating. Well, let, let's start at a little level higher. You know, if somebody's fairly new to, to devices and needs to understand a specific aspect, be it submissions, quality systems, post-market, yeah. monitoring, whatever, there is a, I don't know if it's necessarily a database of a training material called CDRH Learn. And it's a great place to get both just kind of basic fundamental training, but also every time one of those guidance document comes out, not every time, but the ones that are going to impact the industry the most, FDA will also put out a webinar. They do them live, but then they put the recorded versions on their, on the CERH Learn. So that, that's super helpful. For the guidance documents, I'll I'll use that if I can't attend the in-person interpretation. The next and so ever, ever, you're saying every guidance document that comes out has an associated discussion around it? Not everyone, but the ones that are going to be pretty widely impacting all of industry or a huge subset of industry or reflect the new FDA policy. So, you know, something like if they were to update the, the 510K filing process, that's going to impact, you know, probably 80% or more of the submissions. So they're going to do a webinar on that. If they come out with a, a technology specific, like um, at the, the end of not last year, but the year before they came out with about six guidance documents that affected software as a medical device or cybersecurity or or one of those types of features associated with software. They did several webinars on on those because they were going to affect so many people. Okay. So that's that's really interesting. I didn't know about that. Very good. And so you know essentially what you're saying is any any guidance that's going to be widely adopted and used will likely have a webinar associated with it. And so it's certainly worthwhile to go in and Yeah. And then- uh, so Sign up for the emails from CDRH because they they will tell you when there have when either a guidance document is coming out so you can read the draft for yourself and comment on it 
They will tell you when they're having a webinar on it. They will give you other information that really kind of helps you stay ahead of the game. Okay. Databases. Databases. So the one that me and my team use multiple times a day is the product classification database. It gives you so much information about the product. It tells you what regulation number is associated with. Well, first off, you use keywords that are related to your product name or your product technology, and you play around with those keywords and it. It comes back with a list of possible product codes. Then you move in and out of the list to read the descriptions to find the one that matches your product. Once you do, it, it tells you things like the regulation number, which will give you more information about how FDA perceives the intended use and the technology that you can cross-reference. It will give you the submission type. It will usually tell you if there's any type of exemptions, like if it's 510K exempt or if it's GMP exempt. There is, if there's recognized consensus standards, if it's eligible for three third party review, and if so, which which groups can review it or qualified to review it, and 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 even more information than that it is one of the most the databases with the most utility. And so, what does five ten k exempt mean? So, five ten k is the type of submission for a class two medical device, and some yeah. class one medical devices require five ten k as well. And if you're 510K exempt, it means that you you fall into one of those categories that typically requires a 510K, but the FDA has chosen for whatever reason to exercise enforcement discretion on that particular portion of the controls. So they've said, this might be class two, but we're going to choose to not require a 510K. Now... Is there an you example? You have to follow all the other requirements, be it a quality system, registration and listing, et cetera, but you just won't have to do that, that submission to the agency. Is there an example? Yes. So, you know, the paraffin baths that, you know, a lot of that are in spas or a lot of people have them, you know, buy them at CVS and have them in their home to dip their hands or their feet in to make them all soft. And it, But it also helps with pain and arthritis and whatnot beyond the cosmetic benefits. Well, that is actually a class two regulated device. Um, you, If you have making a paraffin bath, not only is it a medical device, but you have to have a full quality management system that includes design controls and manufacturing controls. And, but you do not have to put in a 510K submission. And you can tell that they used to require a 510K submission because if you look in another database, the 510K database for that same product code, you will see really old 510Ks from the 90s where that product code, where the agency used to review submissions related to those products. Got it. Okay. So, so the first one is a product classification. Yep. That, that we use daily in our work, multiple times a day. Number two? Uh, the next most informative database for class two devices is the pre-market notifications or 510K database. And this is where they keep the information 
pertinent to each 510k they cleared. So you can find the 510k number, you can find the dates it was submitted, the dates it was cleared, which can kind of give you an indication of how long it took the agency to review that particular submission. And then most importantly, you can see a copy of the 510k summary, which is the two to five page document that serves as an overview of that product and what the submission contains and the performance criteria that that submission met. Okay, and that's public domain. Yes, that is public domain. And what else is interesting that they did some years ago is that you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of FOIA or freedom of information, yeah. where you can send a letter to say the, the FDA and say, I wanna see 510K, K, 20, whatever. And they send a letter to the person who owns that 510K and they say, okay, this 510K has been requested. You have to provide a redacted copy per the FOIA law. So that company can go through and redact what they feel is confidential, but not overly redacted. And then you get a copy of that redacted 510K from the company, but they send it back to the FDA and the FDA sends it to you. So that process normally takes at least two years. Really? The, yes, at least. If you hear to back- To get one all, submission. To get one submission. I don't know if that's because of volume or capacity or both. But here's the interesting thing and why the pre-market notification database is really informative sometimes is you can, if there is a, if somebody has requested in the past that a FOIA on that particular submission, they will have a full copy of what that company returned in their redacted 510k. And there's Online. even a then there, there's even a button in the 510k database search that you can click and ask for thing, ask for 510ks that only have FOIA attachments. Wow. So, you, so what you're saying is that if somebody wanted to see completed submissions, obviously they they would be redacted, so missing some some information. You could pull up a bunch. Interesting. And, and you know, companies heavily redacted to where you only get things that you would pretty much know either from a Google search or the 510k summary. But some companies need stuff like validation data and results and protocols and some very product-specific stuff that gives you a lot of insight information to how that product got clear. Oh, Okay. So number two is the pre-market notifications 510k database. Mm -hmm. Have you ever have you ever gone through the FOIA process yourself or just I have. You that's have. how to, that's to, how you know two years. <laughs> okay. I've been on the other side of it, I think two or three times, three times. And yeah. I have no idea how long it took those requests to make it to me, but I did redact the hell out of it. Like where it was mostly black and I was afraid the FDA was going to send it back to me and say, you can't take out this much. Interesting. Okay. Number three. 
Number three is registration and listing database. And that will tell you anybody, if you already know your product code, that will, you can look it up by product code and you can find out anybody who's registered underneath that product code. So you can find out anybody that is either selling, manufacturing, designing, um, that is, which will tell you basically who all your competitors are. But it also tells you what relationship they have to the product because it will say things like specification developer, repackager, relabeler. What's the contract manufacturer? That one's really powerful because if you are a specification developer and you're making a new product uh, and you want to, let's stick with our paraffin bath, and you want to find all the people that you, but you don't want to manufacture it yourself. You want to go and find all the people, say, overseas or specifically in the U.S., either one. You can go through and, and also search the database for the relationship to the product and get a redacted list of just contract manufacturers. And then you know the people to call who make or private label that product. Well, when you say redacted list of manufacturers, what do you mean? Oh, just, just, you know, just how databases work. If you filter by, if you don't filter, you're going to get, you're going to get every relation, everybody that has any kind of relationship to the product, but I there's see. also a fill, which contract manufacturers will show up in there, but you can filter it by contract manufacturers and get just down to the list of the people who are actually making it for other people. And so this is, this is the FEI database? Registration and listing. So yes, yes. Okay, so registration and listing is number three. Number four? I think total pro product life cycle is pretty informative, but the interesting thing about total, total product life cycle is that it's embedded as a hyperlink in the product classification database. So you can get to it either through the main database page or while you're in your product classification code, product code, it's one more piece of information you can just funnel down into. And what that does is it will give you a list of five 10Ks in chronological, reverse chronological order uh, that have been cleared. So this also kind of saves you some, some of the time cross-referencing the five 10K database, not, not all. You'll at least know what those five 10Ks were, what companies did them. And then it tells you if there's been any adverse events. And then there are drop downs. And so one thing that's interesting about the FDA databases as a whole is that it's very easy to move interdependently through them instead of having to look things up over here, get out of this database, go over there, look things up in that database. They, they are very interconnected and they used to be even more interconnected. Like the FDA has taken out a lot of hyperlinks that made it super useful, but there's still a lot of these kind of things that are sub embedded. Mm, I see. So, so you're saying that yeah, depending on whatever search you're doing, you may get two firsts where you can look at multiple things in one database instead of having to go. So yep. the, to the total product lifecycle. I still don't understand fully what it, what it does mm. beyond. So, th so that includes post-market data. And AES. Yes. Yes. So it's a quick way to look up 
how many 510Ks say have been cleared this year, what companies did them, and have there been any adverse events? And it's, it's by product category? It, it is linked to the specific product code in the product classification database. I see. Okay. Right, so, so it's product so type. Yeah, the, the specific product code and product type. Got it. Okay. Number five? Let's see. What is my next favorite? How many are there, by the way? Oh, I know gosh. there's a lot in the top, like the, there, the ones that you use day to day. There's probably 15, but there's really only four. You know what? There's one that's not on the this list that has become super important. It's not on this list because I'm looking in the actual page for medical device database. There's one at a higher level that holds all the, the guidance documents for all of FDA. So I'm talking CDRH, CBER, CEDAR, OCP, like all the, all the different divisions, all of the guidance documents live in one guidance document database. So that's the first thing you have to know because it's in a special location. You can't get to it if you just thought, you might not even think it existed if you were just looking at this page. So what's important about that is that a few years ago, say that I told you about how powerful that product classification was because it had so much information in it. One of the, the features it had was it listed product specific guidance documents. So like surgical masks, it has a guidance document for submissions of surgical masks from 2014. It used to be listed right in the, the product code for surgical masks. You, you knew right away when you read that product code that it had a product specific guidance document and you needed to consult that. For some reason, they took all of those out and they now they only live. So now, and the, the, the way the search terms work, it's not, a, it's not very smart or easy to use. So you need to go into the guidance document database and cross-reference whatever terminology you found in your about your product in the product code database. You need to put that in the guidance document database and see if there's a product-specific guidance document. For example, pulse oximeters. That's a big thing now at you know, during and post-COVID. It, it's becoming a bigger thing because they found the skin tone inaccuracies as a result of COVID. Well, if you just look at the product code for pulse oximeters, you wouldn't know that there is a product-specific guidance document. And you know, how many people came out of the woodwork that have never made medical devices before and all of a sudden think they're going to get into pulse oximetry, you know, or we're making consumer pulse oximeters and then one to make medical grade ones. Um, so, and then we're doing this research themselves. Well, they don't know to go to this other guidance document. And so therefore the FDA was having tons of problems with their data, with the contents of their submission, et cetera. So that's kind of a secret and little known, but very important. And so, so you're saying beyond the consensus standard database, going in and, and understanding what guidances are relevant to the particular 
and and it goes pro code specific. It's like that. Not as I don't know if you, see that's another problem with it. I don't know if you can search it pro code specific, even though the guidance document may be pro codes. I see. Okay. So so what you're saying is in that case you may need to use keyword search. Yes. Okay. Number six. Let's see. You've got 21 C CFR food and drugs. So like the the CFR that applies to drugs. This is the one I was telling you where they broke the links in the product code because you used to be able to just click a hyperlink of the regulation number that they told you and it would open a window in the regulation database. They took that link away. So now this is one where you have to copy the regulation number and go into the CFR database, put that regulation number in, and then go read the regulation itself. Okay. And so that's the, the, the food and drug database. Is that like the ECFR? Well, it's the CFR title 21. The, that's the, the name that goes by. It, it contains. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, so everything 820, 210, 211, the, yeah. the biologics one. Okay. So then number seven. Let's see. You know, I think on a, a regular data, regular basis, that is probably, you know, we'll get into MDRs, ball database sometimes. Occasionally we'll use, you know, a de, the de novo or PMA, depending on what type of product we're looking up and looking at history of de novo to a 510K. But, it, you know, I think it's probably a, a little bit more rare that we're going to use anything besides those. those okay. Well, very good. So there you have it. Those are the those are the cases that you keep close close in hand, well bookmarked and using quite often. Yes, yes. Some of those daily, but probably all of those are monthly. Well, very good. What's something you're excited about, Michelle? Well, I am following closely that those changes with MDR, and I have some presentations coming up with both Greenlight Guru and RAPS to kind of give my second annual update of the MDR and calling it M MDR by the numbers. Uh, so it's I'm really I'm really excited about that because I've learned a lot of interesting things and interesting nuances and you know, kind of putting my own spin and interpretation on it to try to help people. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on again, Michelle. It was great talking to you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me again.